awareness is like breathing for us. Mm. It is what we need to do to be able to regulate ourselves. Bill Wilson, co-founder of Alcoholics Anonymous, wrote in 1952, if we examine every disturbance we have, great or small, we will find at the root some unhealthy dependence and its consequent demand. Wilson suggested that if we could identify and continually surrender these unrealistic and unrealizable demands, that we may then be able to accomplish what he imagined to be the recovery's next frontier, something he called emotional sobriety. Flash forward 70 years and join psychotherapists and best-selling authors Tom Rutledge and Dr. Alan Berger, who have taken up the mantle of exploring Bill Wilson's new frontier. Welcome to Emotional Sobriety. I'm Tom Rutledge. Uh, with me is, uh, as always, uh, the, the good Dr. Berger, Dr. Alan Berger, and our, and our producer, and I think director as well, because he keeps us in, in line as we go along with this, is Patrick Newman. So, Hey, guys. Hi, Patrick. Listen, Tom, you just came in from a walk. It's hot as hell here, but it's, it's um, if I don't, you know, I do exercise inside. So I, so I have the rowing machine that I use that, that, to kind of keep myself in shape. And but but Lucas doesn't do the rowing machine. My dog, he's not, he's not into the rowing. And so so if I, if, if, you know, and I, I often, you know, say, you know, I've seen him when we have little kids over you know, not very often, but when we have younger kids over, he goes crazy. And I realize, you know, Lucas is stuck with an old man. And it's like, so, so I try to get out there and, and, you know, we have a big long walk out back of our, on our property. And so I get, when I go out there and just take a stroll and, and wander through there, you know, of course he runs a zillion miles while I'm doing that through all the woods and stuff like that, chasing everything that he can chase and all that. So, so I try to get out there and do that. And it's, and I, I tell you what, it's just, it's, it's old man ego. I just makes me feel good that I can still go out there and make that walk. So you have these grounds that you can just kind of, yeah, we have. Yeah, we, uh, it's it's. Hey, listen, it's it's been the perfect sanctuary for COVID. It's like how many acres uh, do you have, Tom? Uh, we're we're sit on seventy acres. Wow. Uh, and and uh, so we we um, uh, we when we came out here in Aston City, just outside of, of Nashville, uh, it w- there wasn't a whole lot here, to, uh, and uh, it's just been growing. And that was nineteen ninety two. That it's been growing ever since. So we we're very grateful. To, to have the, the the padding around us it's like it's it's not as quiet as it used to be because we can hear civilization everywhere but it's like we still have space to to do that and you know and i you know i have my you know i, I call it the nest the little place where when i have just telephone some some of my clients are just uh, telephone clients so uh, lucas and i just go out and sit in, in the we have a little place in the woods uh where we just i just you know i can sit for two or three hours doing sessions just sitting in the woods and it's, it's a beautiful thing to do it's yeah. one of those times where i'm just grateful that i don't have to have a real job well i went to uh my first in-person meeting out here in joshua tree uh in uh, more than a year i i took my cake uh, back in la a few weeks ago mm-hmm. uh, for my three years but uh first in person in the community i'm currently living in and it's funny because I'll, I'll tell people that I moved out here and uh, they're like, uh, what's the community like? You know, um, have you been meeting people? And I'm like, what, I've you've been living under a rock for the last year. Like, how do you meet people? <laughs> I don't even know how to meet people outside of a COVID framework, but within right, it, right. it's just kind of like a non-starter. But now that, you know, I got my vax and um, I'm just getting kind of squirrely. I, I do, uh, the, the Zoom meetings have been a lifeline, but um, I really, uh, I think we all benefit from being, uh, you know, close to people and, you know, and then the meeting after the meeting, of course. And, uh, you know, um, the first, the first chair was uh, a guy was talking about how he, he had just done a detailed inventory on critical race theory. So that was a little bit weird, uh, but, um, uh, you know, uh, it was his 37th birthday. So, uh, I, uh, you know, talked to him after and he was actually pretty personable. So, uh, well, that was a good I want to tell you that, that you, that's because you're in California. I'm in, I'm in rural Tennessee. Nobody is going to be doing that in a meeting around here. It's like, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, it's funny because the most uh, he talked about, he did this critical race theory inventory and then showed it to a sponsor. And the sponsor had like the most AA response ever to this thing. And he's like, you write so eloquently. Yeah, that's what he said, <laughs> which I thought was like a funny very generous in spirit way of dealing with uh, some weird shit. 
Well, it reminds me of what, what sometimes I'll, if I go off on something talking to Dee about whatever it is, sometimes uh, through the years, she'll just go like, that sounds like something you would want to put in a book. In other, in other words, you don't have to tell me. Right. <laughs> go right. Go right. Instead of go west, young man, go right. Yeah, 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 go right. Well, you know, I just came back from, it was about a 10-minute drive from McClune's Farmer's Market. Mm -hmm. And it's an actual farm that's probably sitting on 40 acres of land. And they have a market where they sell their produce. Wow. Other goods from the local farm uh, farms in the area, and so um, I was in heaven. I mean, that's great. I have not seen cherries that looked like mm-hmm. this in in my lifetime. I mean, mm-hmm. my wife just had some of the grapes, and she goes, ah, "These are amazing! These are amazing!" So the beef mm-hmm. is from some of the cattle in the area. I mean, we we don't eat a lot of beef, but we got some some fillets for the for the kids and stuff for a treat for us too, and and it's just it's fun. I mean, just living out. I was telling Patrick, it's such a different experience. You've been doing it for some time now, ninety two, and I'm only sitting on two and a half acres, and I feel overwhelmed. I don't know why you mm-hmm. deal with seventy acres, but I imagine you don't cut the grass on seventy. Well, it's 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 mo- it's the good news is it's mostly woods, so it's like like yeah, you know, that's that's the, the cool thing. We we don't have yeah. I always tell people we don't have a lawn; we have a clearing, and yeah, it's like that's that, that's what that, that, you know. It's, the moment I call it a lawn, I'm going to get nervous. That's, uh, I would <laughs> I would too if what I think of seventy acres, but it's you know it's such a different way of life, and I'm really enjoying it a lot. The pace is so much slower. Um, I'm finding the people incredibly friendly and very genuine. I mean, uh, nobody's trying to outdo anybody else. And, you know, our neighbor came by with some flowers the other day and a candle and welcomed us in the area and stuff like that. It never yeah. happened in L.A. to me. <laughs> I mean, so it's a wonderful experience so far here. And I'm looking forward to the, the fillets and the and the cucumbers and the cherries. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you should pretend you're like a Roman emperor when you eat those cherries. You oh, know? Yeah, that's like, right. Yeah. And the other thing, they had these. Um, I'm, I'm a I'm a big green pepper fan. I love I love mm-hmm. frying up green pepper and putting them on Italian sausage. I mean, I I, I can just. I mean, I'm I, hungry. You're making me hungry. Oh. And I, with these green peppers were like this big. <laughs> I mean, so, and and so it's. I, I'm I'm excited. It was fun little shopping. I mean, in ten minutes from the house. I mean, it's like my goodness. It's it's a place I'm going to visit often. So that was cool. That was my first discovery. I hadn't been there before. How are the kids doing? Kids are doing great. They're in this summer camp called Camp America. Mm-hmm. They are just loving it. They're having so much fun. They've. Maddie's done her first fishing, had her first fishing experience. She's fished for the first time, and, you know, it's catch release. So she was in a little boat Mm -hmm. on the lake, and I caught some and threw them back. And Mm -hmm. first day, she didn't catch any. Second day, she caught four, and she was just besides herself, but it was so much fun. And and Cece's having a gas. I mean, they're coming back. They're just exhausted, but it's that good outdoor play all day long. That's great. Yeah, it is great. No, it's it's really, there's been so many good things. And Jess is really, you know, they're really ramping up with, with what she's doing. And she's working her little tail off. And so it's, it's we're settling in. Still got a lot of boxes to unpack. So anytime you guys have an extra 15 minutes, you want to come by and put some. And you know what? It's mostly books. Yeah. We moved 30,000 pounds of furniture. I'll bet 10,000 pounds of that furniture are books. Okay. <laughs> I mean, seriously, we're probably. Well we, well, we have a problem with that. We, we love to have books. And, and I don't and know about you guys, but it's hard to give up books. Oh, yeah, I, I have that problem. <laughs> I, I die. I, I was down there. CC tore the front cover. I'm reading a little novel right now. Mm-hmm. She tore, and, you know. Patching it up, and because I'm going to save it even after I'm done reading. Oh yeah, 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 it's, 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 yeah. It's, it's like these these are books. I have so many books that I'm never going to touch again the rest of my life. And it's like like you know, and they, there's somebody could be enjoying them out there, but it's like I'm go I'm going like no no I'm hoarding the books. I just booked out my books, and I've I'm you know so I've got a lot of those boxes to unpack downstairs and stuff like that. But speaking of books, we're 
we're now continuing through working through the my new book financial mm -hmm. insights and i appreciate what you said it about it earlier patrick that you're really enjoying how it's written and and the message that's coming through and and what i love about what we're doing with the book is that you're reading it like tom and i look mm -hmm. at stuff but mm -hmm. you're reading it and you're coming back with let's focus on this so i hear you got some some gems for yeah. us yeah yeah well you know um in kind of wrapping up uh, the second chapter, our exploration of it, defining emotional sobriety, um, I thought we would uh, drill in on this idea of environmental support versus self-support. And, um, you know, I thought we could begin uh, by dis dissecting this quote. Uh, when our emotional center of gravity is located in an expectation of how things are supposed to be, then our happiness is determined by whether or not things go our way. Life happens, and when it doesn't conform to our expectations, we object. Blaming becomes second nature. This is an impossible way of life. Um, so that's great. That's, this is a state you, of mind. I, could you read that again? Just read it one more time, please. Yeah, of course. Of course. Um, when our emotional center of gravity is located in an expectation of how things are supposed to be, then our happiness is determined by whether or not things go our way. Life happens. And when it doesn't conform to our expectations, we object. Blaming becomes second nature. This is an impossible way of life. Wow, that 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 is the, what the the heart in, in many ways of what emotional sobriety is, isn't it? It's this idea of somehow finding a way to keep our emotional center of gravity over our own two feet. We all going to show up in Metaphors Anonymous one day because of our addiction to to metaphor. But when you talk about keeping your center of gravity over your own two feet, before we were working together, before I used to. I do a thing when I was talking to people about relationships where I would get up in the office and I would lean on a chair where all of my weight was on the chair. And I was, you know, basically if you pull the chair out from under me, then I'm going to fall. And I said, okay, look, I want to show you, this is a picture of my first marriage. You know, it's, it's like every, you know, everything, everything depends on this being this way. And then, you know, then we go through the process and, and, you know, when I try to show people too, is that there's nothing wrong with dependency because when we part of a relationship is depending on, on each other or what I call responsibility to each other, but not for each other. And, and the idea is, so I'll plant my feet strongly, you know, in, in a good place and then, and then lean, you know, so, on, into the chair. So that basically I, the picture is if you pull the chair out from under me, I'm going to, I'm going to stumble, you know, I'm leaning in enough to where it's going to be hard. It's going to be, a, but I, but I'm not going to fall over. I'm not going to, I'm not going to face plant anymore. And, and so when you, when I first heard you say that, I thought, man, that, that just, it, first of all, I had a place to put it. And I, and I thought about that, but, but so often, and I was saying this to you uh, earlier today, I think is, is the idea that, you know, just remembering certain things that we have to remember like that become these revelations all over again. Oh, it's so true. And listen, what a great, you know, you're right. It, it, you know, where it came from, actually, when I was in Vietnam, we had two Korean Marines assigned to our unit. So I was outside of Da Nang on a little um, fire base called Hill 55. And we were preparing to go into on a big, big operation by the Laotian border. And it was very likely going to mean that there that possible, a high possibility, high probability that we would end up having hand-to-hand -hand combat because of mm -hmm. the situation we were going to be put into. So the Marine Corps, um, just there's a lot of Korean Marines that were stationed in Vietnam, and and many of them were trained in martial arts, right? Yeah. Especially uh -huh. Taekwondo, right? Mm -hmm. Which is now an Olympic sport, right? It's part of the Olympics. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I would see in that. So these two Korean Marines were signed to our unit to teach us Taekwondo for this operation that was upcoming. And the operation was about three months away. So we had three months of training, 90 days with these guys. So every day at the end of our, all the other duties we had, right around six o'clock after chow was done, we'd load up most of the, of our guys in these two and a half ton trucks. And we'd drive to the top of Hill 55 where they mm -hmm. built a dojo for our training. Concrete floors, just a, you know, a tin roof over the top. Mm -hmm. Those boards, those Makariya boards where you toughen up your knuckles mm -hmm, when you're mm -hmm. outside. And we were up there every night from, I'd say, 6 to 8 o'clock at night. Two hours working. Our geese were made out of bed sheets. They were sewn <laughs> out of bed sheets. 
They had belts imported from Korea for us. But the first thing that these guys taught us, and I don't know the Korean word for it, but the English word is horse stance. And it's the basic fighting stance, right, that they teach you before they teach you anything else. Is And what it's about is how to start to become aware of your center of gravity and keeping it, you know, distributed over both feet and, keep, and learning to keep your center of gravity there as a good platform to be able to fight from. And I'll tell you, man, we would be in that horse stance for 10, 15 minutes a night. And the first night, my knees were, <laughs> you know, I look like I had Parkinson's disease. <laughs> I was shaking so bad, you know, because they were strengthening. We're not used to being, you know, kind of sitting into our center of gravity. And that's what came to me when wow. I started to think about this emotional center of gravity is this horse stance. And I said, my God, you're so grounded to the earth in this stance in terms of being able to react well, you know, counter, I mean, do all kinds of things from it. I said, what a metaphor for life is that the more grounded we are, and, and this is a term you and I recognize from the 70s and 80s, you know, all of the body work that was coming along and mm -hmm. people like Dr. Stanley Kellerman, you know, Dr. Murray Bowen, you know, all these other, um, uh, Charles Kelly in Los Angeles, all of these other body-oriented therapists would look at our grounding when we were standing and they'd get you to stand up and talk and they'd look like, well, how are you holding your body in space, right? And they would see that someone that was off balance was so vulnerable to all the shit going on around them. Mm -hmm. And I remember going to these workshops and it would be amazing the effect that these that it would have on a person when the therapist would just get them more grounded. Yes. Bend your knees a little bit. Breathe into the lower part of your abdomen. You know, sink yourself down. Bring your awareness into yourself instead of outside yourself as much as it. I mean, just these few kind of interventions like that made big impacts on how somebody was feeling at the moment. And then I, you know, when I got exposed to this emotional sobriety stuff, I says, my God, that's what they were trying to teach us back then. They were trying yeah. to say they didn't have the concept of putting it in this in this context that we've been putting in it. But they were saying is keep your own balance. Keep your balance. Worry about keeping your balance. Try to live your life in a way. Now, they didn't understand I because nobody ever talked about the expectations and what happens and how we knock ourselves off balance by as soon as I put my expectations on how something is supposed to be. Now my balance is going to be determined yeah. by how things are. Yeah. You know, is it going to go according to my plans? It's well, but yeah, but see, the, the idea is it's still the, the in, from the inside out. This stuff, what you're describing, and I love the fact that it actually comes from not from tennis, but from a life and death preparation. Basically, that's a, that's a little little little, little bigger, a little heavier well, issue that's there. Right, right? You you just put it in that context, and wow, right? Yeah, yeah, and and it's like, but but I think the idea, you know, just understanding that our bodies, you know, if we're thinking, we're always talking about inside out. You know, it's like. You know, the idea that the way I carry myself, you know, and the way, you know, the, the way that I stand, the way that I walk, the way I do, you know, this kind of stuff is it's not just it's not just how I appear to other people, which is how a lot of times people who talk about body language and stuff, that's what they're talking about, which is obviously off balance, you know, look like, you you know, this it's like no, we're talking about how it feels on the inside. So whether whether they had the the the, the concepts that we've we put to this or Bill Wilson began to put to this in terms of expectations and, and unenforceable rules. For years, I had some, some serious lower back and problems down in my legs where, I mean, I really had trouble for four or five years uh, standing up straight. It was, it was really painful. But the very first thing that I remember about that is a woman, a woman that, um, her name is Cheryl Kerrigan. I'll do a plug for her book. She she has a book called about editing disorder called Telling Ed No, and she was a she's she was a, a yoga person. And so uh, we were at a retreat that she was co-leading with me. And it's like, like, so she said, well, let me show you some, some yoga stuff. And so I said, okay. And then she taught me what's called the mountain stance. Okay. Now the mountain stance is standing up straight 
that's it. It's like, you know, and she showed me all kinds of ways I was doing it wrong, you know, standing, you know, and, and exactly what you said, when I held my body in the way, that's all it was getting completely aligned. It hurt like a mother. I really began to realize how much this was just about how I work from the inside out you know, because it hurts so much. And it's like I, to this very day when I've, I've gone through some other kinds of treatment for that, it's like, but the idea that I can do that, that I can, that I don't take that for granted. And I don't think that's just because I'm an old guy. I think it's just because, because I wasn't that old when she was, was showing me this stuff. It, it's like, it's, it's like, it really is the beginning. And that's, and so for us to take this and say, okay, we need, you know, if these, if somebody's listening, they're listening and stuff like that, it's like, you know, don't don't just stop at the idea that we're talking about how to how to take care of our bodies. <laughs> Use this metaphor and think in terms of where are you off balance? Where where are you where are you leaning? Where are you not you know not supporting your well supporting yourself? You know, uh, in 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 your life, and it's like that's where it begins. Self supporting. This is from the book. Self support mm-hmm. is accepting reality and others as they are. And then this is the second part that I'd like you guys to speak on uh, is and actively seeking the kind of help we need when appropriate. So part of self-support, right, is also asking for people to pitch in, you know, when you need that extra boost. Well, that's such a good point, Patrick, because so many people, when when I'm given workshops on this, and and we've even seen it on the Thursday night emotional sobriety meeting, well, are we just talking about a kind of a, a radical independence that says we don't need anybody? Right. And that's not what we're saying. It's just right. the, the way that I think of a, of this is that what, what, what's happening here is I'm taking responsibility to get my needs met. And if I'm struggling with someone or something, then I turn to somebody to get some help to figure it out. You see, so it's not that I don't need anyone and that I'm an island unto myself. And it's that... I am ultimately responsible for my emotional well-being and for getting my needs met in this world. Nobody's here to take care of me. Nobody's here to meet my needs. That's my job, nobody else's job. Now, that's an evolution because obviously when we're children, we're in a different place, right? We don't have that capability. That's not available to us yet. It's developing, right? It's always developing. That's the arc, right? We start from Un, I mean, complete dependence on, on our mother for everything in that womb towards becoming more and more capable of supporting ourselves. Or right. the term I like better than even independence is differentiation. Right. I learned to differentiate so that now I'm not depending on my mother for oxygen. When I'm born, what do I have to do? Breathe. I got to give myself the oxygen. Because independence is a word that is used a lot. This is how differentiation works in independence. Self-support puts us in a place where we, we can, we can become resourceful about, about, about not only accessing, but actually utilizing other support. Because what we're doing when we're not doing that, most of us have stories about this is like, we're, we're, we're manipulating. It's like, whether we think of it as that or not, if, I, if I'm not meeting my own needs and I'm trying to get you to meet my needs by manipulating you, by being, you, for me, being pitiful or being, maybe I'll be pissed off or whatever I'm going to be. But the idea is when you're sitting there standing in that, in that horse, what is it called? The horse stance? Yes. Yeah, yeah, standing in the horse stance, or from my experience, the, the, the mountain position. It's like, okay, from here, then I, the, first of all, that's going to give, see, what we both started off describing in our experiences with that is it gave us, first of all, it gave us information. You're, you're, you're sitting there shaking all over the place. So what does that tell you? Well, okay, this is, this is diagnostic. This is, this is important. The fact that, my, that where I hurt hurts even more when I'm in the position I'm supposed to be standing in. That's a powerful information. I have to strengthen myself, you know, and then from there, you know, we become, we become responsible for asking for what we need, but in order to ask for what we need, we also have to be able to identify. Right. And going off what you said, um, very important. I like this part in the book where, um, when we demand that others live up to our expectations, we exclude them from the very relationship we're attempting to have with them, which to me is like mm-hmm. such a fascinating paradox, you know, and in, in, in having this expectation that you know, you're supposed to understand me, you're supposed to, you're actually 
it, you're disconnecting. You're be kind of making it more of a transactional. Well, you're demanding that they be an extension of you rather than be them. them the, 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 I love that idea of excluding them from the very relationship because because no now you know they can't be them if if they're going if they're going to cooperate with you they have to be an extension of you. And this is where how it manifests itself. And I, I recognize saying this to partners, you know, less today, which Jess is grateful for. <laughs> but I hear clients saying this all the time. It's like, well you're just not being responsive to my needs, right? It's telling the other person, look, I'm telling you what I need and you're not being responsive. And it's so interesting, like what you just pointed out with this, Patrick, is that what we don't see at that point is that the very thing I'm accusing my partner of doing is not being considerate of my feelings. When I'm making a demand of them, I'm doing that. That's what I'm doing. It's not what they're doing. That's what I started out with. That's that's the they're just responding in kind, so to speak. It's like if I'm putting my demand on you without really seeing or making room for you to decide if you're interested in meeting it or not, then there's that I'm not considerate of you. I'm just demanding that you be considerate of me. Which gives us a wonderful, I love to take things into practical tools and, and good questions are wonderful tools. And if we, as long as we don't ask them rhetorically, it's like, it's the question is, how might I be doing what I am, what I am feeling that this person is doing to me? And it doesn't even mean that they're not doing it. It just, again, it comes back to the thing that to me, I just think is so pivotal. The so thing is you always start on your, this is, this is what, this is one of the gifts of 12 step for me. Always start on your side of the street. It's like, it, and it doesn't, and, we, and people hesitate to do that. I hesitated to do that because I was afraid somebody else was going to get off the hook, you know? And it's like, the truth is, it's like, whether whether they going whether they need to change something or not actually there's an order in which this stuff is done and it's like if i'm if i'm going to strengthen myself i said as i remember to sit up straight by the way cuz we're talking about this stuff is is i need to i need to pay attention to my own posture and yes. both literally and metaphorically right on boy that's that's right on tom see that is a practical thing that people could take away from this cast if you're feeling that you're being misunderstood, pause and really check in to see if you are understanding what the other person is saying before demanding that they understand you. I mean, it's in the, it's in the St. Francis prayer, right? Seek first to understand, then to be understood. It's like, that's one of those things we just forget. I do all the time. Even the one where they go seek first to comfort rather than to be comforted. Uh, you can comfort because you can comfort even if you don't understand. Because you can understand is this person. Sometimes that also means with ourselves. You know, instead of me demanding that I understand you, and see, I've even flipped this further, and I've said, mm -hmm. if I'm saying you're not understanding me, who's the most important person to understand what I'm talking about? Me. Yeah. I got to see what it means to me first before I'm demanding you. So seek first the comfort is instead of being comforted, demanding you comfort me. Let me try to figure out how to comfort myself. Maybe I'll approach you and say, hey, are you available? Uh -huh. You know, I'm going through a rough time. But if that's not available, right. that's my job. Well, so, it brings us to the other, another question. You know, if I'm asking, if I'm demanding you understand, if, we, if we're with this, we, we say to ourselves, do I, how do I understand? What's what do I understand about what's going on? Because, because, you know, with hindsight, we know not often we're the ones, you know, we don't, it's like, we don't, we don't have the whole picture. We may have, we have some of it. We know we're hurting, but it's like, we're, you know, and, and part of what we're talking about here today is putting this stuff in the right order. Right. Right on, right on. And see, that's so important, right? So if I stop and say, check in with myself, am I understanding what's going on for me right now? It takes the hook out of what I'm trying to do with the other person. Yes. He'll use that metaphor too, and it's another wonderful one from his letter. I think there would, there's mm -hmm. so many great things that, that, that he talked about. But when he talked about unhooking people from our claims and our demands or from what he called these hobbling expectations, mm -hmm. I mean, in unhooking, it, I had this image of the old dock workers, you know, used to have these hooks on a bale of hay and yeah. cotton. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And they'd hook them to lift them up, right? 
And I was thinking, well, that's what these expectations are. I'm trying to hook somebody to get them to do what I want them to do and move in a direction. Oh I my God. Can. I have, I have some of those at the bar and we're moving. Hey, Hey, Bells. it's like, it's, it's perfect. what a, what a talk about, talk about, you know, t- getting caught up in metaphor, but it's like, I'm going like when I, if I just think about that and, and it's, it's just almost kind of shocks me into, to, that seems like a kind of a violent image for that I'm doing to somebody where I'm actually psychologically hooking into them like that and it's like you know if i when i can be aware of that see the more aware we are of ourselves you know this is the place where you know those we have those those should monsters that are telling us we're bad people and all this but the truth is when you become aware of this stuff our our own value system kicks in i don't want to do that to people and i certainly don't want to do it to the people i do it to who are the people that i love I, i just had this this awareness or this epiphany Awareness is like breathing for us. Mm. It is what we need to do to be able to regulate ourselves. We need to take in oxygen and blow off carbon Mm -hmm. dioxide to keep the right balance between Mm -hmm. oxygen and carbon Mm -hmm. dioxide in our body, right? We need awareness, like we're talking about it right now. So I want, if you're listening to this, the first thing you can do to support yourself is to increase your awareness of what you're doing and how you're doing it. Very, very simply, I just wrote down two things. It's like just it's just breathe to connect them. Breathe, be aware. That's right. That's right. Breathe and be aware. I mean, breathe and be aware. If I'm aware, like you said, if I'm aware that I'm sitting here demanding you understand me and I realize that I'm demanding it and I start to understand that I'm doing that to you. And if I own that, I'm going to probably keep the connection okay with you and say, God, I realized I just put a trip on you. Mm-hmm. Well, are you going to say, yeah, you know, asshole? Well, you might mm-hmm. say that. Mm-hmm. Sure, but, I might, I might. <laughs> but it's go- but it's with, go- with love. <laughs> it, but it's going to start the connection, right? It's going to, it's going to mm-hmm. enhance the connection because now I'm owning what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And when that happens, it's wonderful ground for a conversation rather than looking at what the other person's not doing. Right. that I'm demanding them do. Well, and, and the other piece this does is it reminds me of some of the stuff in, in this, the book I wrote called uh, Earning Your Own Respect is that the idea is that's that's simply about being congruent with your own value system. And with that with that awareness, that's what you're describing is, is if you can do that and you come back, it's, it's like that's. I mean, that not only is, is a better way to do it because you're not, you're not really causing problems in the relationship or you're not, you're not putting something that's unwarranted on your, your partner or whoever you're, you're communicating with, but you, you, actually, you actually are going to not only feel better, but be better. Because you know, we talk about all the time, at the end of the day, self-respect is the measure. I feel better about myself because I've done the work in the proper order. Right on. No, no, I love, I love the direction that this conversation has gone today about self-support. So self-support then too, we can think of in the way we're talking about it now is when I take responsibility for myself, I'm also taking responsibility for the way that I'm connected to you, the way I make contact with you, the way I talk to you about what's going on. It's what you said before, we're responsible to another person, not for another person. Mm -hmm. See, this is where when we're undifferentiated or emotionally immature, whatever you want to call it, we end up instead of taking, because we want to take responsibility. We know it's important, but then we end up taking responsibility for things that we're not responsible for, like the responsibility for someone else. Yes. And, and that's very confusing for people. And it's like, it certainly has been for me in my life, but it's like the distinction, talking about differentiation, the distinction between those two things, just to challenge myself to try to under, even if that's a process, again, concepts, you know, by themselves are useless. You know, we got to find a way, how do I bring that into my life and practice? Otherwise, actually the concept can be more than useless. It can, you know, we just, sometimes people just get high on these concepts. It's like, oh, this is great. This is going to change me. It's like, no, it's not. Not until you figure out how to practice it. Yeah, that's right. That's plug it in, use it in your life, integrate it. See, that's what Bill's, the wisdom of the 12 steps shows up in that step 12 is what talking about having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps. We tried to carry this message Yes. You know, for those who were still suffering, right? And to mm-hmm. practice these principles in all our mm-hmm. affairs. That practice these principles was a call to integration. 
you got to plug it in. It, it can't just be an idea. It needs to be something that is available for you that you can use. And that mm-hmm. comes from practicing, trying it on. And so that's the other thing we'd urge you to do, this self-support, this keeping your emotional center of gravity over your two feet, you know, taking responsibility for yourself. You know, it it's so important because it's so empowering. And, you know, I want to make this distinction, you know, our dear friend, Dr. John Amodeo, mm-hmm. he's got a great book out there called Love and Betrayal. And one of the things he was talking about is that, that this self-contempt that comes from blame and especially self-blame, which is often confused with taking responsibility, is disempowering. And it's not the same as the self-empowerment that comes from taking responsibility for yourself. So you know if you're taking responsibility is it's going to empower you. It's going to enhance you, not diminish you. But if we're blaming, and back to that thing that you talked about earlier, Patrick, if I'm blaming you or blaming me, it's going to diminish the possibilities. It's going to to decrease the possibilities available to us. If I'm taking responsibility, the possibilities are amplified, right? They're increased. So that's the other way to think about this stuff. If I'm, Because people say, well, how do you know if you're on the right track or not? Pay attention to the experience you're having in your life. You know, if your attitudes, if your beliefs and stuff are working, your life is going to be humming, baby. You're going to be enjoying things. You're going to be flowing. You know, you're not going to be in conflict. If you've got these expectations like I have, you're going to find yourself getting angry, getting frustrated, you know, trying to control other people, having arguments, having conflicts you know, ending relationships because they're not doing what you want them to do, thinking I got to cut these toxic people out of my life. Mm -hmm. I mean, all of this other nonsense that we try to do to deal with this stuff instead of growing ourselves up. Well, and the first two, just a moment ago, just before that little paragraph, you just said you started with two words, pay attention. How do I do this? Pay, pay attention. And, and it's like, and, and, it, and it's, it's actually, it's a scientific method. We come up, we come up with hypotheses and we test them. It's like, the, I, I tell this to my clients all the time. It's like, why don't, you know, because you're talking about discovering new possibilities, you know, doesn't mean every new possibility we're going to have is going to be productive for us, but it's like, it's worth exploring. Sometimes it's, you know, we, most of us have this experience of knowing sometimes the best thing we can do is just whatever we do, just do something different than you've always done before. There you go. You know, try something else and then pay attention. Failure becomes success when you learn from it. If you test a hypothesis and it doesn't seem to work, then you, you change your you change your approach. It's a process. It's, you know, it's a daily, it's a practice. What is that distinction though between taking responsibility for yourself and blaming yourself? and others. For me, it, it's a very subjective experience. The words, you know, can be very much the same. It, you know, the, I can take a, a sentence like, hey, get off your ass and, t- and do, do this. If it comes from that, if it comes from that should monster, that condemning voice, it really has, I, it's really easy to know that. It's, it's like, I can feel that, that, that voice, that's feeling that is condemning of me. The, you know, I, this is why I always talk about tough love is, is self-love. It's, it's like the idea, uh, but I have, a, I have a guy in my head that can basic, basically can go like, you know, and, and, and he has to work with me pretty often because I'm a good, great procrastinator, you know, no. And, and I always say like my, you know, my self-loving voice is he, he gains rapport with me because he cusses too. And, he, you know, like get, get, get off your ass, Rutledge. It's like, you got to get this, you have to get this done. But what I can feel, and I think we can learn to feel this, is that that voice is on my side. That voice is coming out of a place of is rooting for me. You know, it really is a loving voice because it says it's not okay for you not to get this done because you're important is what the feeling is. Constructive. Yeah. It's, it, it's just, and, and, and for me, the phrase that I just keep using is, is this, does this feel like this is coming from a source that is on my side or actually sab- more sabotaging? When I'm taking responsibility, I'm not feeling stuck. Yeah. That's the other thing is that when I'm taking responsibility, you know, there seems to be a lot more wiggle room in my life, a lot more space for me to do the exploration experimentation that Tom is talking about. When I'm stuck and I'm fixed, my, my freedom seems so limited. 
it's so dependent on you. You know, the other way, it's more dependent on what I'm doing and how I'm dealing with the situation, which, you know, now there's many other possibilities because when it's dependent on you, then I got to figure out a way to get you to do what I want you to do, <laughs> right? In order for me to be okay. And, you know, and, you know, I've gotten pretty skilled at manipulation. I think most of us are pretty skilled at it. And that's not a terrible thing because we're just trying to figure out a way to get our needs met. See, what Tom said a minute ago, even in some of our worst behavior, there's a positive intention. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to figure out how to get my needs met. Now, I'm not doing it in a very good way. That's okay. I mean, we can learn from our mistakes, mm -hmm. but we don't need to throw the baby out with the bathwater either. And that's why if we listen to these things and we learn from our mistakes, we grow ourselves. So it's not about doing any of this stuff perfectly. It's about learning from what we're doing, paying attention and finding a way if I can use my experience to continue to take that next step in my development and my differentiation and my growth. Yeah. And Alan, it goes, that goes to something I was saying to you, I think it was before we, we started recording today, but any one of these things that we learn, expect, have a reasonable expectation. You're going to forget it. Now, if you don't, that's great. That's wonderful. But it's like, it's like, it's, I always say it's like breath counting meditation. If we're going to do a breath counting meditation and we're going to sit here and say the assignment is we're going to breathe and we're going to count our breaths to 10. Okay, now the three of us are going to do that. And one of us does that for a while and says, I got to 10 three times. I'm going to say, bullshit, you didn't get to 10 once because our little minds wander off after about one or two, you know, and then, then it takes a while for us to know we've wandered off and come back. So just like that, we get these ideas. And the truth is, the more it's, it's like anything else with practice, the more you do it, the more the more repetition there is, the more natural it becomes for you and you will do it more and more and more. But even then, my experience is anyway, I will forget at times. And I, and, and, and what I need to re, rather than and that's where the, the, the bully would come in and beat the crap out of me in the past. Whereas right now, when I you know, when I remember something that I have, have forgotten, that is ob now obvious to me, it's like that's a that's a positive experience. You know, that's me going good. For, good for me. <laughs> Yeah, practice, practice to me, based on what you guys are talking about, seems like the only way I can hone my sense of awareness because uh, I was just thinking about the last week and I felt like shit for most of it. And uh, I couldn't quite put my finger on why, what the mechanism was that was causing me to feel a certain way. And I was going to ask you, Alan, you know, um, with the move you just had and like all the stresses and the situation with your dog and stuff, like it sounds like, I mean, it's, it, I'll just point to the dog situation specifically you were able to maintain your awareness to a certain extent, right? And kind of like keep that well, wide stance. Yeah, right. Is to look is that, you know, we learned from that. First of all, look, we're never going to, mm -hmm. you know, we're going to call previous owners. We're going to, we're going to, there's a lot of things we could have mm -hmm. done that would have protected Rocky a lot better than we did. So we'll take some responsibility for the outcome of this. Mm -hmm. But the other thing is, is it's, we weren't going to change what they had done. It was getting Rocky the help that he needed to get and to be as responsive as we could be to his needs at that point in time, you know? So that was the other part of it as well as, you know, Jess wanted to beat herself up and trying to support her, you know, and to not take it on like that. And the kids were traumatized by it and to, mm -hmm. To sit with them and, and say we're going to take care of Rocky and you know we're going to get him to help and and look and thank God we find found these two vets they work at this they own this 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 veterinary hospital and they were they're so loving and it's the first time Rocky has gone to a vet where he's not shaking before he walks in. Wow, he that's has, a big deal. I know that one. He has a sense that these people love him and cared for him and saved his life i mm -hmm. swear mm -hmm. i don't know if he it, what how yeah. it yeah. He, he knows yeah dog consciousness yeah. but he walks in there like hey family i'm here mm -hmm. and he, he walks around the place like he owns the place i mean nice. and they welcome him and treat him as like rocky it's so good you're doing so well we're so it's amazing to me to see that effect so yeah. all of that right is searching for what can we do with it you know that becomes for me such a big part of this emotional sobriety Not well and, and this is and this is a, tell me if, if i got this right alan it's like what you know what what patrick is asking about there is like that's a really good um 
example of what, because I remember when you first used this phrase uh, quite a while ago, I, I, I wasn't sure exactly what that was, but I think I do understand more of it now. And that's an example, that's an example of you holding on to yourself. That's an example of holding on to myself is staying focused on what I can do, what I need to do, stay in the course of what I need to do. You know, the other thing is, is following up and making sure we're going back to the doctor, regardless of if it's convenient or not, there's a commitment to seeing the, seeing this through. And you should see some of these wounds were horrible. I mean, I remember you describing this on his poor elbows where he was laying in the urine. You know, and a dog's urine is highly acidic, man. I mean, there's a it's a high concentration of acid. I mean, just look at our grass out in front. Every place as he pees, it's brown. <laughs> I mean, that was on his skin, right? For days. Yep. I mean, in a few places on his left elbow, it the the skin broke to his bone. You oh, can see man. the white bone. And now you can see the pink skin growing back and covering it up. And so he is healing. I mean, he is healing. And, you know, we're really glad for it. And thanks for asking about him. You know, he's, he's, a, he's a dear dog, man. He's very sweet. And that's what they said about him. This is one of the yeah. sweetest dogs that we've ever met. I mean, how could somebody do that? To you know, it, I got to tell you just a quick little story. It reminds me, I was, I was at a, um, I have a friend here in, in town. Uh, uh, you may know, you may know him, Alan. His name's Vince Parrish. You may have met him when you were around, but it's like, he's, 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 uh, he does ethics workshops. He said that, you know, one of the things that distinguishes us as, as human is our ability to forgive. And, and there's this guy in the, in the group is another therapist in town named Bob Reddick. It's, it's like, uh, may he rest in peace. He's been gone for a little while, but he said, he, he said, he just raised his hand. And he said, well, let me ask you a question. He said, uh, if I, if I lock my wife and my dog in my trunk and in my car and leave them for an hour, and I open the trunk, which one of them forgives me first? I just looked at Vince and said, can we go now? I think the workshop's over. He just, he just deconstructed because <laughs> those, those beautiful animals, they, they, they are so loving. They are so forgiving. <laughs> so true. So mm -hmm. true. Yeah. They're special. Yeah, so the right answer to that was the dog forgives first. Oh, oh forgives immediately. <laughs> I'm so happy to see you. Thank you for rescuing me. You know, yeah, and, and, listen, and, 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 you know, what a lot of us would do is we'd expect that, our wife to do it first. See, it's right, 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 right. expectation. So if I expect that, mm -hmm. then once again, I'm not thinking about the experience my wife just went mm -hmm. You know, well, as far as just being intelligent people, I could say on behalf of both you and I, neither one of us would expect our wives to forgive us first. <laughs> if we locked them in <laughs> Oh, that's, that's good. I, you know, let's hope we don't have to test that. I am not going to do that one. I think there might be a chance you and I get locked in the trunk well before we lock them in the trunk. Well, and longer than an hour, yeah. <laughs> longer than an hour. Patrick may have to come and let us out of the trunk somewhere. Patrick, if we don't show up on a Sunday, <laughs> check our trunks. That's the moral of this story. We That's need like right. a little, uh, like a Batman device I can put on my keychain. You can just That's like, right. uh, you know, uh, ping me and I'll know, yeah. you know, yeah. come calling. Yeah. You know, the one thing I think I'd like to extend this conversation to for next week, and, and because I think they're, it's worthy of another discussion, is, is taking this responsibility to another person. Because I really want to talk about it in terms of you know, this whole idea that, that runs around is you hurt me. Mm -hmm. Is in a relationship when someone says that to someone, what does that mean in terms of what happens? And how can we start to, to listen to, to a deeper meaning of these things? Because that's what I'm wanting people to get out of our talk as well, Patrick, is I want people, when they hear people say things like, you make me feel this way, that what they're just saying is I'm struggling with what's going on and I'm trying to figure out who to blame for it. And that's all I know how to do. So why I'm saying that is because if somebody is doing that and blaming you, you don't have to take that personally. You can just understand they're doing that because that's all that's available to them at this particular point in time. And if they knew better, they could do better, but they don't know better at that point in time. It really feels like to them, 
you're hurting me or you've done this to me that that's that's that you shouldn't have done and so i want us to start listening to people and to ourselves even in this different way is when we're saying these things there's we need to listen to what the message means not just to what the content of the message Right. And what that calls for is keeping our defenses down. I'm talking about just a couple more minutes and you can have some exchanges where you can actually have some clarification. The other piece I want to be sure we get to that I think we need to stay on this topic about too, is let's not assume that that people know when we just need additional support from others, what that looks like and how we do that, because that has a whole nother realm of expectations that we have with that. And it's like, how, you know, because if, I, if I'm looking for support from, you know, you guys, I'm not going to get necessary. You know, it's good that I recognize I need support. I ask for that. It doesn't mean I have to get exactly what is going to make me all better. And I need to be, I need to be able to sort through that and, and basically take what's helpful, leave what's not. And, 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 uh, and, and a lot of times people, you know, they're at a loss when, when they've been, when they've been so, uh, pathologically, you know, you know, counter-dependent, you know, and, and, and let's talk about what, you know, what our experiences are with reaching out for help and sometimes being disappointed and sometimes getting what we need. Sounds like a good show next week. I want to, I'm going to definitely tune in. If I'm not in a trunk, I'll be there, buddy. This emotional sobriety podcast sounds pretty interesting. We should listen. (laughs) All right, you guys, see you next week. Until next time. Bye. Bye. Tend your life. Tend your myth. Cultivate your narrative with whomever you're with. Then with glass in hand and children on one knee. Bring some stories. Bring your stories back to me. It ain't a crime to be a human. Never be ashamed to be yourself Rest assured that whatever you're doing Will entertain me like nobody else So here's to us, my old friends Until it's time to drink the wine and break the bread again With glass in hand and children on me Bring some stories Bring your stories back to me.